You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. After you're done greeting, uh, Psalm number 46. This psalm uh, starts off with, God is my refuge. It's a pretty, pretty famous psalm, pretty well-known psalm. Um, and so Psalm 46, you could turn there in your Bibles. We are going to go back to Psalm 46, so it's worth turning there yourself. There's Bibles up here on some of the tables. There's, uh, if you brought your own Bible, that makes you extra cool. Anybody bring their own Bible? Extra cool credit today. Um, and uh, so Psalm 46, and I'm going to read it in the message translation. Then we're going to look at it later uh, in Sunday school in uh, whatever translation you have. The message is, is sometimes considered a, a very poetic translation because it is a paraphrase. And I'm going to read it uh, because it's, it's easier to read. It's easier to understand. So if you're ready to hear it, say, I'm ready to hear the word. <laughs> Pretty good. Okay. It says this, a song of the sons of Korah. God is a safe place to hide, ready to help when we need him. We stand fearless at a cliff's edge of doom, courageous in sea storm and earthquake, before the rush and roar of oceans, the tremors that shift mountains. And then here's, here's a frame that you'll hear again and again. Uh, Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. Verse 4, the river fountain splash joy, cooling God's city. This sacred haunt of the Most High, God lives here. The streets are safe. God at your service from the crack of dawn. Godless nations rant and rave. Kings and kingdoms threaten, but earth does anything he says. Then this frame again. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. Verse 8. Attention all. See the marvels of God. He plants flowers and trees all over the earth, bans war from pole to pole, breaks all the weapons across his knee. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. Let's pray this morning. God, we do come before you this morning as as we study your word, as we study who you are, the nature of, of yourself. God, we, we pray that you will enlighten us, that you will make known yourself to us. Allow us to have open minds and open hearts to understand who you really are, your attributes, your characteristics, your nature, God. We love you. We praise you. And everybody screamed? Amen. Amen. Um, the school of worship. Any school of worship students, ex-students, shout out, anybody? Couple, couple hands, okay. School of worship here at New Life Church is a one-year program designed to train worship leaders for local church ministry. So there's classes on how to sing better, how to play your instrument better. There's, there's uh, cl- whole classes on how to lead a band and how, and how to get everyone playing. Um, there's classes on how to write your own worship songs. And then at the very end of, uh, now at the very end of the year is a class that I get to teach called Systematic Theology. It's a good one, in my opinion. And it's, but it's very different than the other classes the School of Worship students have to take. Other classes are very uh, music-oriented. And this class, Systematic Theology, um, it, it begs the question, why in the world do we have to learn Systematic Theology? And it comes at the end of the year, the program's one year, when some of the stu- School of Worship students have something called senioritis, and they're about done. And then my class comes along, and they have... Uh, 
They have all this homework and reading to do, and it's not an easy class. And I remember teaching this lesson, the lesson that I'm going to teach today in the Mill Sunday School. I remember teaching this lesson about God's attributes, about how God is uh, above us and with us. So that's the big point today. God is above us and with us. And so I was teaching that lesson to the School of Worship students. Uh, This was a couple years ago, a couple classes ago. And um, one of the students raised his hand and and said, uh, Professor Joe, I don't mean to offend you, but, and whenever someone says, I don't mean to offend you, but, they really mean, I'm going to offend you, or at least try to. And so he said, <laughs> it's just a nice way of prefacing, I'm going to offend you. Uh, with, and he said, uh, kind of, and he, I could, you know, we were getting into uh, the, the terms, and we were getting into these big words, and the midterm was coming up, and, and, and so there was some stress and senioritis, and he said, I don't get why we're learning this stuff. Like, what, how does this apply? And so it's this lesson that I'm teaching today about how God is big and with us at the same time. And, uh, and that can be a very intimidating question for teachers if you just raise your hand and say, why is this important? Why are we learning this? <laughs> Luckily, I had already an example that I was going to use later um, in the class to, to talk about why this is important. So I, I was on my toes and so I responded back and said, well, um, <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot, but, and what I really meant was, I'm going to put you on the spot, or at least try to. Uh, and so I asked them a question, and then I realized this, this question is pretty big. And so I, I said to the whole class, I'm going to put the whole class on the spot right now and ask you a question, ask you what you would say, what you would do in this situation. Because I wanted to put the kid on the spot, but I didn't want to embarrass him. So I, I said, the whole class, you can answer this question um, after I present uh, the, the situation. I said, imagine yourself a couple of months from now. You have a job as, as a worship pastor in some local church ministry. That's what they're training to be, training to do. And you lead worship, you lead your worship set, uh, the, the Sunday morning uh, sermon is, is said, and then you maybe you lead a last song. And after you lead the last song, as you're saying goodbye, as you're packing up your instruments, uh, a woman comes up and she says, that last song was awesome. It really spoke to me. Um, it's, it's just really what I, what I needed to hear and what I needed to think about with God. And, and you say, um, okay, yeah, thanks. And, and you say, can I pray for you in any way? And she says, yes, yes, you can. And, and then she begins to cry in this, in this scenario. She begins to cry. And, and she says, something very tra- tragic has happened to me. And I'm questioning who God is. I, I, I don't know who God is anymore. And she begins to tell you a very, very tragic story. If she had a child and maybe the child passed away, child was only a few years old, a toddler that had a a disease that they didn't catch in time. The child ended up passing away just a couple weeks ago. Here she is, first time back in church, listening to the worship music and and asking the question, who is God? Why would he allow this to happen? Where is he right now? Who is God? And so you're a, a worship leader, just, you know, you just came with your music and your set and your instrument, and some woman is asking you to pray for her, and you're in the midst of this ministry situation. What do you say? And I, I asked the question, I just let the hush go over the room, and and everyone just sat there like, uh, that's a hard situation. That's a very hard ministry situation in which you would be put on the spot. And what do you say in that situation? And there's a lot of things you can say. There's a lot of verses you could read. There's lots of prayers that you could pray. But to me, something that makes sense, she's wanting to know who God is. 
And so that's why this lesson is important. And I got to, and from that perspective of what would you do, how would you minister in that situation, I, I got to talk about how God is big. He's, he's above us, and yet he's with us at the very same time. And so that's the lesson this Mill Sunday School. All right. Some announcements, shall we, before we dig and dive in. Uh, if you're newish to Mill Sunday School, if this is your first time, uh, there's some things on the tables. It's like a welcome to Mill Sunday School. You could take that, fill it out, give it to the nice people in the back. They're really nice and cool. He's waving. He's really cool. His name's Joel. It's really cool. Um, and so give it to him. He'll give you a CD, a gift, and we welcome you here. Other announcements? Uh, what else? Is there any other announcements? I don't know. Uh, what do I got here? No, that's about it. This month we are talking about theology, the study of God. And so uh, let's jump into it. Your first point on the notes is God is personal and infinite at the same time. God is infinite and personal at the same time. And there's this tension between how both of those things can be totally true at the same time. That he is infinite and we are finite we, we, are, we will die. We, we, we have been created. God is uncreated. He is no end, no beginning. He is infinite. We are finite. So he is above us, and yet he has a relationship with finite human beings. He created us, and then he is with us. Um, and so I don't, this, this message isn't about putting God in a box. If you were there, how many of you were around Friday night, the mill, Aaron Stern talked about idols and how we can't put a God, God in, in a box. We can't say, oh, this is how God is. He acts like this. He, he works just like this and does this. And we can't put God in a box because he's bigger than that. He transcends the box. God is transcendent. And yet at the same time, we can understand parts of him and understand that he is a personal God. And so we can't put God in the box, but we can understand that these two opposing ideas are both true. How can two opposing ideas both be true? Well, God is big enough to, to have two opposing ideas be true. For instance, there's other things about God that are opposing but true. For instance, the Trinity. Do we not believe as Christians that God is three persons? Yes. Everybody say yes. Do we not believe as Christians that, God, we, that we worship one God? Yes. And so there's three persons, one God. How, how in the world can God be three and one at the same time? Well, there is a mystery of the Trinity, and that mystery is how God can be three and one at the same time. And there's a mystery of Jesus Christ, how Jesus can be totally 100% human, yet at the same time, when he walked on this earth, he was totally 100% God as well. How can Jesus be 100% God and 100% man at the same time? Doesn't that make 200%? Everybody say no! No, I mean, there's, there's, it's called the hypostatic union, this, this the, theological term for how Jesus can be both human, totally human, with not half human, totally human, and totally God at the very same time. And so that's the hypostatic union. And this mystery is similar, how God can be above us, infinite, and yet with us, and personal, and, um, and, and he has imminence, is this word I'm going to give you in just a second. Um, and so let me, maybe I'll write those ideas on the board and I have a suite, uh, hopefully the, the systems work out so that it'll be projected up there so it'll be nice and big. Um, but I want to put the two words that I'm going to keep using. The first one is infinite. In, infinite, is that working? Yep, yes. Things work around here. It's just like a Macintosh computer. This works. That was funny. Is this something funny? Like a Mac? Is, is everybody PC or what? 
Any, any Mac lovers? Okay. Just thought I would, thought I'd ask. Okay. This is much more serious than computers. In God is infinite and he's personal. I'm going to write uh, another term underneath this just for your, this, this may be a word that I throw in and it means very similar things. That God is transcendent. In, I'm going to actually write the word transcendence. God has the property of transcendence. And this one, personal, the other word opposite of transcendence is imminence. Two M's, A-N-E-N-C-E. God is transcendent uh, and, he's, and he has the property of imminence. And so both of these are true at the same time. So if, if someone just said, oh, God is, God is so personal, he's not that big, someone might, along these, this kind of thinking, might say something like, God is my homeboy. Have you seen the t-shirts? Do you remember Daniel Gray? He, he, he mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you only have a, a personal God, a, an imminent God, then you would say, oh, Jesus is my homeboy. We're friends. We're best buds. He's in my back pocket. I, I got him covered. Like, Jesus is right here with me, and he's cool with whatever I do. Jesus is totally personal. That is forgetting, though, that he's also imminent. imminent. Excuse me, that he's also infinite or he's transcendent. That, that, that God is also, while he's your friend, while he's personal, he's also bigger than life. He was also not created. He's the beginning and the end. He's not just your homeboy, right? Yes. Amen. On the other side, if you, ha- if you just believe in a transcendent God, a God that is far away, you may call him something like this. You might say, oh, the big one upstairs. Have you heard that phrase before? Oh, God's just the big one upstairs. Let's, let's thank the big one upstairs. And that is forgetting that while he is big and he is away from us, he's also small enough to come downstairs and be personal with us. Does that make sense? He is both at the same time. He's neither God is my homeboy, just personal God. He is neither just the big one upstairs. He's so far away. We can't know him. He's just upstairs. Send out a prayer. Maybe it gets there. Who knows? No, that's not right either. It's both at the same time. He is personal and he is infinite um, at the same time. And so... uh, Here's what, here's what I think would be really cool to do. Um, this is the discussion question that I was going to send out. Um, I think we'll put it on the board. This is what I want you to do. I want you to, it may, be, it may be take a little bit of boldness to get into a group just to ask if, hey, can I join your group? They'll say yes, trust me. They're not mean. They're, they're Mill Sunday schoolers. Um, and if they say no, then come talk to me. You could be in my group. Um, uh, and so f- find a group. It may be hard to, to turn if you're not at a table or whatever. But here's what I would like for you to do. I want you to look, relook at the psalm we just read. It's Psalm 46. And I am a huge, huge fan of writing in my Bible, highlighting, circling, writing in the margin. Anybody else a big fan of that? Okay. Uh, and the reason why I'm a big fan of that is because if your Bible just stays on the shelf and it, it gathers dust, then it's just like any other book that's on your shelf. It's just black words, white pages, a book on your shelf. But as soon as you take it off your shelf, you read it, you understand it. It, it enters into your mind and heart. It is unlike any other book the world has ever known. And so one of the things that I like to do that helps me 
get the words off the pages into my mind and heart is underlining, circling, writing in the margins, and things like that. So, um, what I would love for you to do is in your groups, reread the psalm. Choose someone, pick on someone to read, uh, or, or split it in half or fourths, and a couple of you read, reread Psalm 46. And what I would love for you to do, if you're okay with writing in your Bible, is to circle all the things, all the infinite um, or infinite words. Wait, here's what I, is it up there? Yeah. Underline the infinite words. So phrases about how big God is, how strong God is. Underline those things and then circle some of the things that have to do with, oh, maybe this, this psalm starts off, God is my refuge. Well, that means he's with us, that, we can, that he's personal. And so circle the, the, the words and phrases that have to do with the personality or person of God. Do you understand? So you're either underlining God's bigness or circling how God is with us. And then if you get done with that in your group, and this may take a little while, but if, you're, if your group is, is uh, firing through reading and circling and underlining, then the big question, number two, if you get a chance to do this one, what can we inductively learn about God in this passage? And the word inductive means what can you get out of? Pretend, for instance, that you're, you're, you've never read the Bible, Psalm 46 is all you have. You're not coming to this passage with any knowledge. You're just pulling from this passage. What can I learn about God in Psalm 46? As if this was the only piece of scripture that you had. That's kind of what inductive means. Deductive, the opposite, is you have some ideas and then you go find those ideas in scripture. Inductive is you pull out of the text and say, here's what we know about God from this passage alone. So, has everyone got it? All right. Huddle in little groups, maybe table size, four or five-ish. Or if you, if, you, if you want, you can read it by yourself. But I would encourage you to, to bust into a group. Ready? Get set. Go. Who of you circled God is my refuge? Did you circle that? Who of you, um, I did this, and maybe some of you didn't. I mean, it's kind of up to you personally as you think about this and reflect on it. But I underlined, so I circled God as my refuge, but then I underlined strength. Anybody else do that? Nobody? Okay, a couple hands. Uh, and, then, uh, and then when it got to the part about God's holy city, I underlined God is with her. This is verse 5. God will help her at daybreak. And then I, I underlined, did anybody else underline uh, verse 6 where it says, He lifts his voice, the earth melts. Anybody underline that? I underlined, I just thought that's about God's bigness. It's about how infinite he is. The, he just lifts his voice and the whole earth melts, um, either literally or figuratively. I don't know. Could be either. Uh, verse 7, and then I did this. How many of you underlined the Lord Almighty and then circled is with us? Did anybody else do that? I just thought the Lord Almighty, like calling on the, na- the name of the Lord Almighty. And you could do it differently. You could take that as a phrase. But that's what I did. I underlined because the Lord Almighty is above us. He's awesome. He's great. But then he's with us. And that means he's personal. He's, he's imminent. Uh, and then I underline pretty much the rest of 8 through 10 about the works of the Lord. And he, he takes away the wars. He breaks the weapons. Uh, and then be still. Know that I am God. And then the Lord Almighty, I underline that and then circled, is with us. And so I just want to open up for a quick discussion um, of, of ideas within that passage. Inductively, what can we know about God if, if this was the only passage that we had about God? Anybody? And if you, if you would, if, uh, raise your hand. Get There's two dudes with mics. And if you don't mind standing up so everyone can see you. Um, and then just give us what your group kind of talked about. 
Yes, sir. We got we got hands over here. Um, all right. Uh, I've got a couple different things as you go through that. Um, God is omnipotent, or he pretty much controls everything. Um, he's our ever-present shelter. He's also the master of our destiny. Yeah, so you said the big um, omni-word, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. It's good. Yes. Anything else? Yes, Mr. J. His name is J. Lopez, not to be confused with. Yeah, I'm going to get my last J-Lo. name changed. <laughs> um, Sorry. One of the things that I... I love J. That's One please. of the things that I circled was God is within us. He's within us? Yeah, with yeah. us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, God will help us. He will help us. Yeah, he's very imminent. He's very personal. It's good. Thanks, Jay. Anybody else? Nobody? Really? That's all you got? Yes, thank you. Okay, last. She gets and then And then this guy. Yes. We came up with an overall consensus and thought for this psalm. Was, uh-huh. um, God starts out infinite. Everything he does becomes personal. Oh, that's good. So he created, and then he enters creation. I like that. That's good. Yes, Matthew, you get the last voice. What I like is how in, oftentimes in the same verse it'll say, God is all-powerful, but he's always with us. And one of my favorite references to this is actually in the first verse. Um, I know some translations say uh, um, an ever-present help in time of trouble, but yeah. mine says a very present help in time of trouble. So he's not just there. He's right next to you. He's with you. He's waiting to help you yeah that's good that's really good and reflecting on this psalm kind of going back to that that um situation or the scenario i gave you of uh, a school of worship student leading worship and then a woman coming forward for ministry i think this uh, reading through this psalm and knowing that god is big in her situation that that the death of her child did not surprise god that god knew that was going to happen that god somehow is in all control and 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 god knew that was going to happen and yet um, God is with us now. He's, he's our ever-present help. That, that God, when, when in that situation, when the mother is crying and it, afraid that Jesus is right there with her, that is suffering with her, crying with her as Jesus suffered on the cross. And that's the God we worship. And so I want to go over, um, just talk a little bit more specifically. I just kind of threw these terms at you and then asked you to kind of do that exercise. I want to now go into more in depth into this word transcendence, the word infinite, and then talk about how God is personal and then the word eminence. And so we'll start over here with this whole idea of infinite. If you're taking notes, um, specifically you could write down God is above us. Uh, God is not just our homeboy. Um, one of the, in my opinion, one of the best examples in the Bible of God's transcendence, of his transcendence being made known is in the book of Job. Has anybody read the book of Job before? It's a very weird story. It was this, it was, I think it was the second book of the Bible that I ever read. And it really confused me because it's, it's this conversation between Job and some of his friends. And the, the, the situation is that Job, in the, very, in the beginning, God allows Job to be tested. And really bad stuff happens to Job. Not just like a bad day, but like his house falls over. He loses all his possessions. His family dies. Um, his, his dogs and cats and, and uh, maybe not dogs and cats. It says his livestock died, though. Then he gets really sick and he's got these really big festering like measles and mumps all over his body. Not a good day. And then his wife says, Job, all this bad stuff has happened to you. You know what you should do? Curse God and die. 
I mean, that's how bad the situation was, that his own wife was said, it's this bad, Job. It's so bad that you should just curse God and then die because your life will never be the same. It's so horrible. And so his wife said that. And then the whole book of Job, which is a very big book uh, within the Bible, um, is, is conversations between Job, this guy that had all that bad stuff happen to him, and a handful of his friends. And the handful of his friends all have different advice for Job. Some of them say, oh, Job, you must have done something wrong. And Job responds, I didn't do anything wrong. I was righteous, and God just did this, and, but God's going to help me. And, and other friends just give him all kinds of different advice. And the whole book is just um, conversation about what God must be doing, about what God must be thinking. And Job says, you know, why did you do this? Um, and finally, in, in verse, uh, in chapter 38, so 38 chapters later, God finally speaks. And you know what he says? He's a very famous lines. He says, then the God, God spoke to Job out of the storm and he says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Everybody say, ooh. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. You shall answer me. And so this is what God has to say about this situation. And basically he goes on and on, gives example after example of how transcendent, how infinite he is. And he asks Job these questions. And he's kind of sarcastic, but he's God, so he's allowed to be sarcastic. Uh, And so he says things like, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, Job, if you understand, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, exclamation point. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? And he he goes on and on about these examples. Where were you, Job, when the world was created? Where were you when this happened? And, And verse 17 of chapter 38 says, Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death, Job? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Verse 21, surely you know these things. You have lived so many years exclamation point it's very it's very sarcastic but it's very i'm transcendent i don't have to give you a reason for anything my way is my way and i'm god is basically what god speaks again and again and then finally job gets to respond to all this and verse uh chapter 40 verse verse uh three job just says i mean imagine if god is telling you where were you when i created you would say something very similar to this which is i'm unworthy how can i reply to you and then, what does God say? He goes back in a conversation. Verse 7, he says it again. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. You will answer me. And then he goes into this, this again, this kind of poetic uh, Hebrew, this almost sarcasm of, you know, look at this big uh, creature that I created. Can you, can you uh, one of the lines is, look at this big creature that I've created. Can you make him a pet, like a bird, or put him on a leash for your little girls? <laughs> like, no, he, he'll eat everyone. He will kill you. I created this big beast. He calls it the Leviathan. And, and he, he's just a big and above everything. And this whole story of Job is bad things happen to him. And, and there's conversations about why God did this. Finally, God gets to speak. And the answer is, God is God. He is bigger. He is, he is awesome. Literally, the, the definition of awesomeness is, is who God is. And God, he... he, he the, the beautiful thing about the story is that he, he does restore Job back. He gives Job his house and all his possessions back, and it's greater than it was before. He gives Job a large family greater than it was before. And so he blesses Job more than he was blessed. But his answer as to why all this happened was God is God. He's transcendent. He's infinite. 
And so that's, that's the transcendence and the eminence of God. That's just the transcendence, actually, that really being displayed here. And if you forget the personal, the eminence of God, you can lead to something over here. I'm going to write this term down. Hopefully it'll fit up there. Maybe I'll write it small. Have you heard the word deism before? Deism is, uh, is, is it fitting up there? Yes. Uh, deism is, is a very, uh, it's kind of a philosophical idea of who God is. Very popular back in the 1700s, 1600s, the Enlightenment. And what it says basically, so deism is the, is the total transcendence of God without any eminence or personality of God. And deism says, they're, they're kind of example that, that shows what deism is, is, is says that God is kind of like a, a clockmaker. God makes this big clock out of uh, wood and, and uh, metal and all these different gears. And then God winds up this old clock. So it doesn't work on batteries. It works on like springs and you wind up an old clock. And so God made the clock. He wound it up. Then God set it down and then just walked away. He's like, I got some better things to do. I'm going to peace out. This is the universe. This is the world. This is the earth. This is all humans. So they're there doing their thing. God is over here doing his thing. That's deism. Is that heresy? Yes. Everybody say yes. Because God, uh, the God of the Bible is present. He's with us. He's personal. He's imminent. And so a leaning of too far towards transcendence and no personality or imminence of God will lead to deism. Another example, just quickly, maybe I'll write it down over here, is, is a religion that, that has very little personal, personal or uh, imminence of God, and that is the religion of Islam. And I was, um, I was one of the, sometimes a little known fact of me, if, if someone ever asked me that question, sometimes I'll say, I was born in Turkey, which is true, because my dad was in the, the military at the time, and I was born in Turkey. And, uh, and so we only lived there a few years. But then in high school, we got to go back, and I got to see the hospital where I was born, and the city, and, and the house and stuff where we lived. It was pretty cool. And I remember, uh, as a high school student, going back to Turkey, my parents were, like, looking at these rugs, these Turkish rugs, because they're really cool. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm in high school. Psst. I'm going to get a soda because <laughs> I'm in high school. I can do whatever I want. And so I walked over to the next little bu- I had my parents' permission. I walked over to the next little building. I got a soda. I was sitting there drinking my soda. And I remember I had, I had this is probably not the wisest thing, but I was in high school. I was invincible. Who cares? Um, and so I had this t-shirt. It was a Christian t-shirt. And here I am in a Muslim country with a Christian t-shirt. Just like, who cares? I'm, I'm in high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> If you're in high school, I apologize. That's, that's how I was in high school. I'm sure you're not like that. Um, and so I, uh, I was pretty arrogant back then. Anyways, I was sitting down drinking a Coke with my Christian T-shirt on, and I got in a conversation with a guy, and we, he, I think he saw my T-shirt and asked me about it, and I was talking about, yeah, I'm a Christian. He said, oh, I'm a Muslim. And we just got into this conversation about God. It very quickly led to how is God different in the Christian religion versus the Muslim religion, and he was, I was telling him about Jesus and God's love, and he was telling me that in, in Islam, that Allah, the name for their God, 
you can do good things and bad things. And the more good things you do lifts uh, the scale of good things so it outweighs the bad things you've done. And so at the end of your life, Allah will look at your scale and see which one weighs more, but then Allah will just throw it to the ground and, and, and he can decide whatever he wants for you. There's, his justice is above any other justice that, that the God of Muslim, the God of Islam is not personal like the Christian God. The God of Islam is not imminent like the God of Christianity. And, and so uh, a leaning, uh, a heresy of Christianity is to say that God is so totally transcendent, so much so that he's not imminent. And if you forget the imminence while just just thinking about the transcendence, then you would fall towards kind of thinking about God like the Muslims think about God, or falling towards thinking about God like a deist would think about God. And so, so that's infinite and transcendence. The other one over here, let's talk about personal and imminence. Per, th- that God is imminent, that's a Latin word. If you're taking notes, Latin, in manara, in man era, to remain within. That God is 100% concerned, 100% um, in his creation, 100% um, he has not gone away, like a deist would say. He's not doing his own thing, but he's very much with us. And, and one of the passages, you know, I read Job for God is transcendence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the passage in Philippians. This is one of the passages that, in my personal opinion, just studying through Scripture, I think this is probably one of the passages that, it, that shows God's imminence more than any other. And it's Philippians chapter 2, when it talks about the attitude of Christ. A pretty popular, pretty well-known Scripture. It's Philippians 2, kind of starting in uh, verse 6. It's talking about Jesus. And Jesus was in, it says, was in the very nature God. So this, this is going back to Jesus as God. He, he's in the very nature God. And yet, it says this, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. This is our God we're talking about. Jesus, our God, made himself nothing, put, took on the very nature of, of a servant, was made in human likeness, and found in the appearance of a human he humbled himself, came obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that idea, it's talking about how God is, Jesus is in nature God, but he humbled himself. He became so personal as to become one of us. Isn't that awesome about our God? That he is in nature God. He is transcendent, and yet he became one of us. He, he suffered. He, he took on the very nature of a servant, and it was made in human likeness. And so God is personal. He is imminent. He is with us. He's concerned with us. And so all of those things are true, his eminence and his transcendence. If you just look at his eminence, I'm going to write some terms over here. If you, if you say God is totally eminent and he's not transcendent, I'm going to write down this term. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's called animism. Have you heard of that term? Another term is uh, pantheonism. Have you heard of that? It's, it's, maybe, maybe that word's uh, very similar terms. Animism says that all things have been animated. It's kind of the same root word of animation, um, that, that the bird and the trees, everyone look outside, see the trees and the sky and the mountains. Animism says it's, it's all spiritual. It's all part of uh, <coughs> the divine. 
Pantheism, very similar. Pan, that, that little root word means all. And so it's all God. You look out, you look in here, you look at all creation, you say, oh, God is everywhere. He's in everywhere. Therefore, we could worship the sky. We, should, we could worship the, the mountain gods. We can worship the fertility gods. Everything has a God. Everything is animate, animated. Everything is God. And, and that is very different than what we believe as Christians. Right? Yes. Because we believe that God created the sky and the birds and the stones. We don't worship them. We worship the one who created them, right? Right. Okay, so animism is a complete rejection of God's transcendence, that he's somehow above things and that God is actually a part of creation. No, God created out of nothing. Ex nihilo, this Latin phrase, you know, that says that God out of nothing created what has been created. He, and, and like it says at one point that he, he formed man out of clay. And it's like, well, where did he get the clay from? He made it. He brought it from home. It's his own clay. He, he created the clay to make the man. He didn't have to form anything that he didn't make himself. It's all his creation. He created out of nothing. Another term, and this, this one may be a stretch for some of you, but I want to explain it. Another one that, that re- kind of reject, reject, rejects the transcendence of God, and is, it has a very personal, imminent God, is Mormonism. Mormonism. And I, I used to live in Utah, and I have a lot of uh, cool Mormon friends. Is that on the board? I can't see. It is? Okay, good. Good enough. Um, so Mormonism, and I have a lot of cool friends that are Mormons, a lot of good Mormon peeps, um, very nice people. Um, but there is differences between evangelical Christianity and Mormonism. And one of the biggest, in my opinion, and you could have your own opinion if you know about Mormonism and, and their doctrine, but in my opinion, one of the biggest differences between evangelical Christianity and Mormonism is this idea of tran- the transcendence of God. Because Mormons believe that the God, God the Father, the God whom they worship, Elohim, was once a man on a separate world who obtained godhood. He then had many spirit children with his wife, the oldest one being Jesus. And, and so the, the God that Mormonism worships is a God that was created by something else or uh, he was just a person. There's this uh, couplet that maybe you've heard before that uh, a Mormon, I believe a Mormon prophet said at once uh, that, that says, as man is, it's kind of confusing, so I'll read it slow. As man is, so as, as we are right now, as man is, God once was. So the God that they worship once was as we are. And as God is, so the God that they worship, as God is, man, human beings, man, whatever, may become. So we may become not just like God, but we may become a God. And that is a complete denial of the transcendence of the God that we worship. That we in no way can ever become anything like God. We are his creations. We are nothing. We are just clay that he made. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He has no end. He has no beginning. He is totally transcendent. And so we cannot reject, as, when we say God is personal, he's imminent, he, he's with us, he loves us, we can't forget that he's above us, he created us, he is totally transcendent. So you got this, you got this, this, uh, this balance between the two, that he is 100% imminent and 100% transcendent at the same time? 
Okay, I just want to close with this and say that if Christianity is true, praise God. If the Bible, the God of the Bible is true, if the God of, of, of the universe really is who he says he is through the scriptures, if we as Christians really believe in the true God, then, then doesn't it make sense that it seems that every other religion is, is, leans either one way or the other, towards transcendence or towards imminence. And so other religions would say, oh, God is, God is so personal, he's in the air, he's in the trees, that I can do whatever I want because, oh, you know, whatever deity is going to accept me no matter what I do. And that's a rejection of, no, God is transcendent. He's a just God. And then there's other religions that say, oh, God is so far off. He's doing his own thing. I could do my own thing. And I really think that, that, this, that this statement is true, that Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth that says God is transcendent and imminent, 100% each at the very same time. And that's the God that we worship. Let's pray. God, as we worship you, as we reflect and meditate on your nature, on who you are, God, I thank you that, that, that you are both personal and infinite, that you are huge, you are awesome, you have no beginning, no end, and yet you created us and you love us so much so that you became one of us in your son Jesus. And God, we worship you. We thank you. Would you allow us to continually understand you more, to continually grow in who you are and let our lives reflect the nature of yourself? God, we love you and we praise you this morning. And everybody said, amen. All right, my friends, peace out. Slap some high fives to some people you don't know before you leave. Have a good day.